Welcome to episode 14 of The Process, President Penn. Process. I am Quavon Taylor. Now I am Monte Martin. Today we have Miss Kaisha Penn on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Kaisha. Hey. <laughs> so can you tell you know the listeners about where you're from? Hello, everyone. I am from Miami, from Miami. by way by of Augusta, Georgia. Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, that's where I was born. How long did you live in Augusta? Miami. Okay, born and raised in Miami. What part of Miami? So, uh, South Beach? <laughs> Not at all. So uh, we moved around a lot. And um, the last place I lived before going off to college was Liberty City. Okay. What so, was it like growing up in Liberty City? Um, it was it was interesting. Um, just growing up at Miami generally was um, interesting because it's, it's not the the part of Miami that, you know, people from my school go to visit. Um, usually they're not going to visit Liberty City. I think um, just growing up in Miami generally was a little difficult just because of instability. Like I said, I moved around a lot. So I think that that played a major factor in it being difficult difficult to figure out what it's what it is to settle down or to have parts of stability in school, um, at home. I think that made my upbringing a lot harder than it probably should have been. Mm-hmm. What was the major hurdle you had to overcome, you know, growing up um, and moving a lot and I guess being unstable? Um, I would probably say growing up in a domestically violent household. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I had that experience. I think that's what contributed to the instability. Um, I ended up going to five different elementary schools and switched elementary school six times. So meeting new people was something that I kind of had to learn how to do, which is why I'm probably friendly now. But just um, it took a while for me to realize the household that I lived in wasn't normal, that 
everyone didn't experience the things that I experienced as a child and saw the things that I experienced as, um, that saw the things, excuse me, that I saw as a child. Um, so being exposed to violence very early on, I think kind of shaped my view of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that it kind of takes the innocence away from a child to be exposed to things like that so early on. But it also kind of helped me figure out what I didn't want to see in my future and gave me the drive to kind of try to attain more and attain something better for myself um, so that I could redefine you know, what my life would be when I grew up and was able to get out of that situation. But it wasn't easy. Uh, I bet it wasn't. When, when did you realize, you know, um, that it wasn't normal? You said that, that, you know, growing up in that type of household wasn't normal. And how did that affect you growing up um, feeling that it was normal? I don't even think that I realized that I lived in a domestically violent, like there was a name for it, um, household until I was probably like in high school where I actually saw um, kind of the violence played out mm-hmm. in front of me. I think when I was younger, it was more like verbal abuse. And I'm like, okay, there, you know, people argue. Um, you know, we stayed in a few shelters when I was younger, but I think it wasn't until high school when I had a mentor that was just pointing out the things that just wasn't normal um, to me that I was just like, oh, wow. You know, I thought everybody had these issues, you know? Sometimes the light was lights were off. Sometimes the water was off. I thought, you know, sometimes people just fall on hard times. Um, but I don't think it was until someone actually pointed out that, I mean, you're you're in survival mode. You know, these yeah. things aren't normal. You're making it because you have no choice. So you're making it because there's you don't really have any other options. But um, these aren't things that everyone experiences. You know, in their families and in their households. Coming from Libby City, what advice would you give a younger, a younger female going through similar situations, but trying to overcome and achieve better for her life? That's a good question. Um, I would probably tell her that um, the hard times don't last, you know, always. And despite the things that I experienced in my life, I know that they help shape the person that I am today, the passion that I have for helping people is because, you know, I've been through some, been through some things, excuse me. Um, the, the view I have of the world and of my community is because of the things that I've been exposed to, um, from a very young age. Um, so I would tell her to be persistent and consistent to be resilient, that she can make it out. There's, tons of people who've done it before um, and just don't believe what you just see around you right now because a lot of the times people that look like us um, they get complacent and they can get stuck just where they are and I think for me I'm grateful that um, the hardship that I experienced really gave me a drive that kind of helped me get out of my situation I knew that I wanted to go so far from Miami just so I could experience something different. Um, and I ended up in Tallahassee, which is, you know, where my life began again, essentially. Um, so I would just, you know, tell her to hold on, tell her to put her best foot forward. 
use all of the talents that God have blessed her with to be a positive impact, not only in her community, but on the world. Um, so like take those things that she's gone through and use them for good. So what was your, um, I guess, ideal job or what led you to um, enroll in the Florida State? What was that process like? Oh, this is an awesome question because I love telling people. Um, when I was in high school, I knew that I wanted to go to college, had no idea how it would get there. Um, I had heard of Howard University and I knew it was far. So I was just like, I'm going to go to Howard because it's far and I'm trying to get as far as I can wait, as far as away, excuse me, that I can get. Um, <laughs> but I actually had a mentor in high school named Nakia Cohen and she went to Florida State and she taught at our high school at the time. And while I was applying to colleges, she was applying to law school, which was really interesting. But one day she told me, she said, Kaisha, I think you should apply to Florida State. I think you should apply to the care program. I just know that you're going to do so great there. And that was my first time hearing someone um, verbalize how much they believed in me. And it did so much for me as a young child that was just going through some things. Um, so from then on, I was just like, well, I'm going to Florida State. Like, it's there's somebody out here in the world that really believes in me and believes in my abilities that she thinks that, you know, her alma mater would be the perfect place for me. Um, and that's literally how I ended up at Florida State. I had already applied because I was just trying to see where I could get in. But once I had that experience and I tell my mentees, I tell people all the time, like my story of how I ended up at Florida State, it was just because there was somebody out there that that believed in me. Um, and she just happened to go to that school. <laughs> That's an awesome story. I mean, yeah. it's always good to have someone that believes in you, but um, I want to know the reality of the situation. When you got into Tallahassee and you were like, I'm about to start college and I'm on my own now. You know what I mean? You're out of your situation in Miami. Mm -hmm. You kind of did what you had to do to get to Tallahassee. Now it's on you. You know what I mean? How was how was that transition for you? It's a good question. I think it was different. I mean, I was ready to get out of the house, you know, get out of my mom's home. I was ready to be on my own. I was ready to figure out, you know, what life would be like if I just had control. <laughs> of my yeah. life <laughs> and I didn't really have to submit to anybody else's you know rules anybody's household I think when I first got there it was just very different um I would call my mentor a lot she would check on me a lot just to make sure that I was okay and you know that I was transitioning well and I remember when I was in a dorm room she was just like you know you should probably just leave your lights on you know when you leave the dorm room and she because she was just like you would never ever have to experience not having lights ever again and like I think that's when it hit me I was just like this is the beginning of my life anew this is the beginning of me you know not having to repeat any of those things that I experienced when I was a child um so that was a great feeling but then college is college so I was trying to find myself and figure out what I like what I didn't like you know whether or not I was gonna be a party girl or what so I, college was a, a really great experience it gave me the opportunity to meet people from different places but also it taught me how to take care of myself I felt like I had been doing that for a while already but when I was in college like I really felt like I was you know handling my own um 
and really figuring out how to get to the next step. Yeah. What what major did you choose? What did you choose to study while at Florida State? I actually came into Florida State as a nursing major. I was in the nursing medical magnet program at Miami Northwestern, the school that I attended. And when I graduated from high school, I told myself that I was, one, going to be a nurse, and two, I was going to be the president of the United States. So those were my goals going in. But my first semester in nursing, I found out that that was not my calling. (laughs) And I did not enjoy studying nursing. And I did a quick major change. <laughs> yeah, I've changed my major two times in college. Um, what what was your calling, and how did you how did you know you know that was for you that your field? I always knew I wanted to help people. I just didn't know how um, I would help people. And I think that I found the legal field because I knew that I would be a good advocate for someone. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always been trying to, what I tell myself is I wanna be for other people what I needed when I was younger. So I talk about that for my career field, I talk about that in mentorship, um, being a, a, a good big sister to my younger sisters, thinking about what I needed as a young person. And I feel like my situation would have been different growing up if I had someone advocating on behalf of my needs the things that you know I needed as a young person the things that I needed to see the things that I actually needed to be exposed to um so I was just like advocacy is something I can do like defending people you know representing people being the voice of the voiceless is you know what I would say So I think that's what led me to the legal field and the area of the legal field that, you know, I wanted to specialize in. It has changed a few based on different experiences, but um, I think I knew once I got to college and kind of figured out where my passion was drawing me that I knew I wanted to go to law school. How, I mean, I I struggle with this all the time. You know, Reese is in law school um, Mm -hmm. and I'm doing my PhD and I think that sometimes while you're in law school you think about you have to balance between making money or helping people you know what i'm saying yeah i thought about i actually thought about pursuing a in environmental policy environmental law but yeah. usually most of the times the people who do those jobs work for the company that you don't want to work for mm-hmm. if that sense. and so how do how do you balance that um you know as a career path like when <laughs> You, when you think about lawyer, you think of a lucrative career. Um, you just think about dollar sign. But how do you manage, you know, the money and the passion? Mm-hmm. I think I accepted the fact early on that I was probably not going to be making the big bucks. I do. I, I interned at a farm this summer. It was a great experience for the summer, um, and I got to work on some really interesting cases, um, some civil rights cases. But I know that that wouldn't be the reality um, when you know, if I was to go back and be there full time, like those aren't the type of cases that I will be working on. And most of them will be representing people that I don't care for or companies that are on the wrong side of justice. Um, I'm interested in being a civil rights attorney. I want to work on social justice issues. I want to give back to my community, represent black and brown people. Um, And 
that's not a lucrative field. You know, you you're not going to come out making one hundred and ninety thousand dollars like you would at some of these, you know, big law firms. But I'd rather be working at a place that I can get up in the morning and be happy about working, you know, for and making an impact in society than to get a check but hate my job. So it's really important for me to be passionate about the work that I'm doing because that's the only way that I'm going to do it zealously. It's the only way that I'm going to put my all into it is if I can really stand behind it. I agree. I agree. My wife is for a sister. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so I see your former Miami Northwestern Bull. Mm-hmm. I'm a my uh, what's the most memorable moment at Miami Northwestern for you? My most memorable moment being a student at Miami Northwestern Senior High Community School, class 09, whoop, whoop, um, is definitely hands down being able to play for Barack Obama when he was on the campaign trail running for president. Um, I had never actually thought that, you know, we would have a black president even though when I was 14 I was just like I want to run for president um my mom told me I would be assassinated by the way and I had to let that dream go until after Barack Obama actually ran and won and I was just like this is possible um it was such an amazing experience I was in the band when I was in high school and our band played at the I think it was the Bank of America Center or Bank of America Auditorium somewhere in Miami when he came to speak to, um, you know, people that would vote for him, essentially. And it was just such a great experience. The fact that he came to Miami in a black school was able to play for him, one, but also that I was able to see him before, you know, he actually became president. Um, I secretly, well, not really secretly, I openly call Barack Obama and Michelle Obama my god daddy and god mom. So hopefully one day I'll actually meet them. Um, but that hands down was, has been my, the highlight of, you know, one of the highlights of my life. Growing up in a domestic violent home, how did that affect your relationship with your parents? Um... So my mother and my father um, were not together. They got divorced when I was probably like one. And I think that's twofold. So growing up in a domestically violent household affected my relationship with my father because I felt like there were so many things that I experienced that um, essentially I felt like he probably could have sheltered me from, um, but because he wasn't there um I had to endure things as a as a young person and I always knew who my father was like we I always knew he was we would visit him in the summertime but because he wasn't physically there I think that that really um really affected me um with the you know growing up in a household like that it definitely put a burden on my mother and I's relationship later on. So when I was in high school, um, because when I was in high school, I started, you know, developing thoughts of my own and, you know, feelings of the situation that we were in on my own. And I became a little more vocal about that. And, you know, with my mom and the situation didn't really change. So at that point, I felt like she was putting this toxic relationship over me because I was the last uh, child that was in a household because I'm my mom's baby. 
And um, because I felt like she was choosing that over me, it really just really affected our relationship. Um, I would go through moments when I, I was just like, I feel like my mama don't love me because she's putting, you know, this man over our relationship and, you know, he doesn't even respect her because he's putting his hands on her. Um, and at that moment, I had never been in a serious relationship to even understand all of what comes into loving someone and just how difficult that could be when, you know, someone say they love you, but then they treat you otherwise. Um, so I, I still can't even begin to fathom, you know, what that feels like. And my mother and I, we've since mended our relationship, but it, it was very difficult. And um, at one point, me and my mother got into it and she kicked me out. And from there, I would stay with my sister sometimes, but the mentor that I talked about prior, um, the last couple months of high school, I lived with her and I slept on her couch. Um, when I was getting ready for prom, I got ready at her house. You know, we didn't have lights and me and my mom had this like strained relationship in the household. So, um, you know, that's where I would go, which is why my mentor and I, our relationship is, um, so strong now but after I went off to college and I was living on my own I was able to you know have some of those difficult conversations with my mom and try to get some clarity on things and really have her hear me out you know from being a 17 18 year old feeling what I felt at the time you know trying to like convey those feelings to her and since then I mean me and my mom we have a great relationship now but it's it took some time to kind of you know, build that back up. How did that experience affect building relationships with your peers and your siblings? With my siblings, I think because we kind of, at least my older siblings, my older brother and my older sister, they grew up in the same household that I did. So they, I would go to them when I was experiencing um, things with my mom or, you know, when we would have dis disagreements and my my siblings, they understood what I was going through at the time and they would yield as much help as they could to me. My, my brother was away in Tallahassee at the time, so there was very little things that he could do for me with me being in Miami. But my older sister was in Miami, so, you know, I would stay with her from time to time. She would you know, buy me food and help me pay for things for school and give me rides places. Um, but I didn't want to burden her because she had a child that she needed to take care of as well. So that was really difficult to kind of try to feel like I wasn't imposing, um, but also getting the assistance that I needed to just survive. Um, so I think that experiencing those things made my relationship with my siblings better, but I didn't really talk about what I was going through with my peers at the time. I felt like a lot of the things that I experienced were just too heavy to bring into, I guess, my friendship relationships. Um, I only had one friend that really knew what was going on, and sometimes I would stay at her house too, but I, I felt like the realities of my situation was too burdensome for my friends. So who is uh, Miss Penn today? And looking back, what would you, what advice would you give the younger Kaisha? Kaisha today um, is an ambitious woman just trying to, 
you know, change the world one step at a time. I, I really want to be a positive role model for communities that look like mine, you know, communities that look like Liberty City don't have as many resources as we had, but, you know, there we still have several success stories. Um, and I, I believe that I'm on my way to being one of them. And I thank God for that. Um, but I, I've also been privileged to have a great support system that has built over the years. I have so many people cheering in my corner, people that don't even know me. So I'm, I'm completely grateful for that. Um, just trying to make an impact in the best way that I can. And the advice that I would give to younger Kaisha is just to hold on to, I would probably tell myself that troubles don't last always, that the hardship that I was experiencing would soon subside and that I would make it. I would encourage myself to just hold on through those situations and to refocus the hardship and kind of build that into drive just to be better, just to stay focused so that I can basically get to where I am right now. I think that mostly what I needed when I was younger was encouragement, you know, especially through the dark phases that I had, you know, being depressed as a young person, not really knowing how to channel that energy. I would just be a mentor. I, I wish I would have found my mentor earlier on. You know, you're, you're a Seminole mm -hmm. for undergrad and end up going across the tracks for graduate school. So you're a uh, Rattler, Unconquered yeah. Strike. Yeah. Uh, how was that? <laughs> how, how was that transition going from an HBCU to a PWI? You know, what were some differences? What What are some things that stuck out to you? Um, well, going from a PWI to an HBCU. Yes. Um, I love Florida State. God knows that I do. I am a Seminole. I go hard for them, win or lose. Um, but the experiences are just different. I think that at Florida State, I really, I really grew up there. I would have, you know, whatever institution I would have gone to for undergrad, that would have been my growing up, you know, time, my growing up phase. Um, but just the, the experiences are so different. So it was, I went from being at a predominantly black high school to being in a predominantly white space when I went to Florida State and sometimes being the only black person or the only black woman in my classes and those classes being 80 people, you know, or more in the class. And at times I would feel I don't know what it is about just feeling like I didn't belong, you know, feeling like I was an imposter, like it wasn't my school <laughs> sometimes. And it's a it's a terrible feeling to be in a place and not feel like you belong there um, because Florida State doesn't have as many black people or, you know, a huge black population. Most of the black people know each other, which is a great thing. But once you go into your classes, you know, there's, you know, very little people of color in your classes and they're usually large classes. So my experience going to FAMU, and I'm gonna let y'all know, I cried on my first day of grad school. Um, <laughs> one, <Whoa>. because, <laughs> I know, right? So one, because I, I felt so overwhelmed, but also I was the only new person in my program and it felt like everyone already knew, you know, each other 
when I went over there for my first day. And I was just like, oh, Lord, I don't belong here either. But <laughs> after I went to my second day, I got over that. But the experience being at FAMU, um, being at an HBCU is just so different. I had never experienced my professors being so invested in my success until I went to FAMU. Um, I had a professor call me up and me and her, we're really good friends now. Like she's actually my friend. Um, but I had a friend, I mean, I had a um, professor that called me one day on my cell phone and I didn't know she had my number. And she was just like, hello, may I speak to Miss Penn? And I was like, this is her. She was like, okay, well, this is Dr. Shakir. How are you doing? And by that point, I was shocked that she was calling me on my cell phone. And I told her how, how I was doing. And then she was like, okay, well, that's great. So tell me about this paper, because I know you can do so much better. And from that moment on, I was just like, wow, she, I mean, maybe my paper was crappy, but she thought so much um, about me and the potential that I had to call me. And this was on a weekend, to call me on a weekend to discuss my paper because she wanted to push me. She knew that there was something in me that I just wasn't giving her. And that meant so much to me. And we have a really great relationship to this day. And I have a great relationship with all of my grad school professors from FAMU because the, you can tell the investment is so much different. Um, the, the dialogue that I was able to have in some of my classes was just so different than the conversations I could have in my classrooms at Florida State. Not knocking Florida State at all, but just the experience is different. And I, I just wish that black people had the opportunity to just experience both. You know, um, we live in white America. So some of, some of the things that I experienced at Florida State of not feeling respected in my leadership position sometimes, or just some of the subtle racism on campus are the realities of America. But also that nurturing piece that you get from FAMU, like that exists in America, but you may not necessarily get that at a PWI, but I, I felt nothing but love at FAMU, which is what even led me to Howard. Because when I visited this campus, it reminded me so much of the feeling that I had of um, just this familial unit, you know, feeling like I was gonna have people in my corner to support me from the moment I got here to the moment that I, you know, left. And that's one of the main reasons that I ended up at another HBCU and I wouldn't have it any other way. Before I get into asking you about uh, law school and the law school process, I identify with that, you know, going from FAMU to Purdue, I kind of, I felt the same thing with imposter syndrome. Um, you went from having a community to going to an advisor that has a, you know, a sense of community in place. Mm -hmm. um, it just wasn't the same. I mean, even from just homecoming functions, just being able to, just, just the sense of compassion around campus was just totally different. And I totally identified with that. Um, but so how was the process of applying to law school for any listeners out there thinking about going to law school? Uh, what advice would you give? Applying to law school, I mean, it's a straightforward process um, through LSEC.org. Um, but I think just making sure you have the requirements that you need in place can be challenging sometimes, especially if you haven't spoken to anyone about it. So there's a few different requirements. So taking the LSAT, that's, you know, number one, um, preparing your applications, having letters of recommendation from professors, most likely um, having a personal statement on hand, a nice polished essay about who you are and why you're applying to law school. And um, some other schools may require additional essays. 
but just outside of that, just a formal application. And I think the two biggest pieces of applying to law school is taking the LSAT, so your LSAT score, and your personal statement so people can have an idea of who you are. I worked on my personal statement for a couple of months and I got it edited by several different people until I was really happy with the product. Um, the LSAT portion is a little more difficult because it's a standardized test and we know standardized tests can vary with you know who it's actually made for and how minorities typically perform on you know the test. I took an LSAT prep course, which I would definitely say helped me out a lot, but I know that a lot of people can't afford LSAT prep courses. Luckily for me, I, it was gifted to me. It was a grad school gift, someone paid for it. But for someone that may be studying on their own, I would say do as many practice exams as you can. Um, if there are free resources on campus, I would say take advantage of them, but also, there's a lot of people that don't know that you can apply for, I believe it's an exam waiver where you can get two exams for free and you apply for that through the LSAC website, which was very helpful because applying to law school is expensive. You have to pay for the exam to take the exam. You have to pay to have applications sent off to schools if you don't um, have application fee waivers, which you should ask any law school that you're applying for for application fee waivers because it can be really expensive. Um, but those are the biggest things I would definitely say, visit schools, don't only pick a school because you think their ranking is high because you don't wanna be miserable your three years. I'm so glad that I chose Howard. We have our issues as an institution, but if I had to choose it all over again, like I would choose Howard again because I don't, I honestly don't think that there's another law school that operates the way that we operate as far as being a family, as far as really assisting each other, knowing that grades can be competitive, but still helping each other out, knowing and having instilled within us that we all can make it. You know, we don't have to compete against each other because when we, we can all make it out there in the field of law. We need more black lawyers. We need more people doing the work that we're going to go out there and do. Uh, what what programs and initiatives do you think should be in place for the younger kids coming from a place like Liberty City? You know, those there's a bunch of Liberty Cities all across the world. Mm -hmm. What programs and initiatives do you think should be in place for those kids to overcome and achieve their goals? I think that there's actually a lot of programs out there, but I think the issue is access so kids actually knowing about the pro uh, the programs that are out there in our community that service our communities there were so many programs that i found out after i had already made it to college that i didn't know existed and there were things that i would qualify for so upward bound and um i think what is it the college reach out program so crop uh, women of Tomorrow, things like that, that would assist with the college application process, that would assist with mentoring, tutoring, all of these resources that would be helpful for children that's, you know, that come from places like we do. But there's no one out there that's actually telling our students how to apply for these programs. So I don't think it's an issue, a issue, excuse me, about the programs existing. I think it's an issue of, you know, just re access to those resources and getting students to those programs. Um, one of the biggest things that I think 
is the most impactful is just mentorship connecting students with mentors people who are successful in whatever field it is it doesn't even have to be a field that the student is interested in but just someone who has made it i think that it's really important for young people to see people that look like them and come from places similar to theirs that have made it in the world um and it also brings me to something that i'm on that my mentor told me and she was just like you you know you you owe it to your community to come back and give back however it is that you decide to do that and that made me think and we had a conversation about this is if everyone from our community decide that you know i don't I went through so much here. I got to get up out of here. If everybody decided to do that, then our children are not going to have any examples of what it looks like to really be from this community and make it. So we need some people that are from our community to make it and come back and show them that, you know, this is what you can achieve coming from even where you come from. So coming from Liberty City, 55th Street and 12th Court, like, you can become a doctor. We have Crystal Harrison. You be, you can become a, a lawyer. We have Nakia Cohen from Brown Sub. You know, there are so many things that you can do. You There's not really a limit of what you can do at all coming from our communities, but representation matters. You know, our, our, our young people seeing that matters and, you know, people coming back to talk about the struggles that they experienced so that other kids can know that they can overcome you know, those issues is important. Are there any last words you'd like to leave with the listeners? Well, if there's any young people out there or even older people, because, you know, we still have dreams as, you know, some some older folk. I'm only 27. I'm talking about older folk. I would say if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. So whatever you're doing right now, if you're a young person, um, you can accomplish your wildest dreams whatever that may be. My wildest dreams is become the president of the United States, 2036, maybe 2040. And that terrifies me. Um, but it's something that I'm gonna work towards because I know that the sky is the limit. The sky is not even the limit actually. Um, so work hard, don't be afraid to shoot for the stars um, and be great. This concludes episode 14 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and to like us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you. Trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be how I want to be remembered, like that was my thing, right? you know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people, being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.